0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Clear the aisles, the projectionist, Mikha huh? Hi, I'm here with Yitzhak Kolokowski. And tonight, I think we're dedicating things to uh, a, a very successful series of films, films that Unlike a lot of the other serial films that we've talked about on this forum, I think many of these, although there's aspects that are dated and make you wince, many of these still stand the test of time. And when they were produced, many of them produced by uh, um, the 20th Century Fox and other, uh, other studios, they were very big money makers. They were very popular. Uh, I don't know what the residuals were. I saw many of them when I was growing up. Talking about the Charlie Chan series, I think there's been 43 of them. I think so. It's uh, 43 Charlie Chan films. And to talk about them in today's environment is almost, uh, you know, it's it's, it's a a tightrope act because we know we're living in a time of intersectionality, of inclusivity. Uh, We're living in a period where Spielberg's uh, West Side Story was applauded merely because of the fact that it used actual Latino characters or Puerto Rican characters, as opposed to uh, the original uh, Academy Award-winning version of West Side Story, which had, of course, Natalie Wood darkened up, um, George Shakiris darkened up, uh, and this was considered a great affront to Latinx or Latino people, the fact that of people who were not the true color playing them. And this was likened to uh, uh, white actors playing black actors uh, in blackface, which is probably the most horrendous thing anybody could do in today's society. You know, How could any white person smear black makeup on his face and walk around? And that's the most horrible, degrading thing that he's doing, no matter whatever that character is. Blackface, we know, is, is terrible. But it also turns into... Other types of faces, whether it's brown faces, uh, in, in the case of uh, Latinos, that, and that is, of course, a reason to extol a new film, or whether it's Indians, and you've talked about it on this platform often, um, the, uh, the fact that Apu uh,
1: needed to be revoiced because... Of... Away ...with the character altogether. They revoiced all the Black characters, and they did away with Apu altogether.
0: Well, one second. You can still find Apu in the old Simpson episodes where he's been. he
1: yeah, re- there ha- he hasn't appeared in a, I don't know two or three years because... in any new episodes. Yeah, and they didn't. I don't think they changed voices in the previous episodes. Mm. Yeah. So,
0: in other words, it was it was tasteless to have the caricature of. now what about Doctor Hibbert? Dr. Hibbert is not a caricature because he's a good doctor and he happens to be very smart. He just yeah, has but a...
1: They, 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 did, they re-voiced him. He's, he has someone else... You know, I saw one one uh, cartoonist, he did a, a series of still cartoons about the, 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 the Simpsons and he said uh, he had a whole thing about Lenny and he said, I don't even recognize my best friend's voice, talking about Carl, who, who's black, and now he has now there's a black person doing the voice of Carl, even though he's he's also Icelandic, and they don't they don't have an Icelandic person.
0: <laughs> now Carl is part Icelandic and black. No,
1: or... he, he's a black person who was adopted by an Icelandic family. <laughs> so <as>
0: the... <laughs> I didn't know so much of Carl's backstory, but I think this is really part of what we've been talking about: is that you know that we you need to have in today's society. It is terrible to talk about a type of Uh, a a, a film series and extol it as a series that's worth watching when we know uh, other than a few of the entries that were actually played by Asian actors, most of the time the two great actors who played Chan, this incredible detective out of Honolulu, who was able consistently to outsmart all the other uh, policemen that were on the case, was always able to find amazingly uh, the, the, the killer. In the very last couple of minutes, and the whole way sprinkle the program, uh, sprinkle the which it really was. It really was almost like most of them are about sixty minutes. Most of them are almost like you know the length it's a little bit over of of what we would call a typical hour television show. And he sprinkled it through with a lot of you know basically made up Chinese wisdom. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but the characters that that did that were primarily Warner oland I think was a Swedish actor and Sidney Toller. Neither of them, of course, were Oriental, uh, who came from that part of the world. They weren't Asian, Oriental, uh, and were made up in in makeup. And there was, it's been quite well-known. Christopher Lee spoke about it recently in a film that I saw, where he talked about the efforts uh, that that were exerted in order to take a, a Caucasian actor and turn him into someone that was Oriental. We talked about a film a number of months ago, Yitzchok and I recommended you to see it just as a curiosity, which is I think majority of one where Alec Guinness plays a Japanese fellow, right? Um, and um, so it's really been something that Hollywood has done uh, continuously, which is having uh, you know, what we call white actors with the type of prosthetics or makeup uh, that allow them to appear as if they are actually Oriental. Now, I want to tell you something. One of the things that, um, when, when I did some little bit of research on this, I discovered that the there was a um, uh, the, the actual Chinese people who, though at the time, uh, loved Charlie Chan. In fact, in Singapore and Hong Kong, when Sidney Toller visited there, or Warner Owen made visits there, they were treated like royalty. People loved uh, the films, and actually they did their own versions of it. But what I've heard, which is very interesting to me, was that in some of the films, they, uh, they would have a Japanese person playing a Chinese character. And I have heard from uh, that this is a terrible affront to the Chinese. Because as you know, Japan, for years, dominated China in a way that was ruthless and considered you know, terrible. And the fact that the enemy of China should be played—a Japanese person should play a Chinese person—was was a terrible affront. I've heard similar things, by the way. About uh, 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 there was a, uh, a a film, there was a series called Kim's Convenience, which was made by the CBC, where you had a Korean family, yet one of uh, the actors who was playing a Korean family was actually Chinese. So. You know, again, you could really split hairs on this. And again, I'm not trying to dismiss the ethnic differences, but you could really, it, it isn't so much about Christopher Lee or Simito or Karloff or anyone being put into makeup to look like to look like an Oriental person. You could even take it a step further, that if someone is supposed to represent a certain country in a certain place, to have anyone who wasn't really from that place representing that country, you can take a front at that. that. Um, and I think that's really... I guess that's the elephant that's in the room that we need to push out. I know both of us really scratch our heads over the great ire that has been uh, that, that that rises in people's consciousness over what's considered this terrible affront, what they consider bigoted and and disgusting. Uh, you know, it's it, we know. Uh, you know, one of you know Louise Rainier, who won and was a Jewish uh, German actress who won two Academy Awards one year after the other, I believe. Um, for the Great Ziegfeld and The Good Earth, she, in The Good Earth, which is Pearl S. Buck's book about um, the nobility of Chinese peasantry. And she played a Chinese actress. She played a, China, a part of a Chinese woman. And when she was interviewed, she lived to be 106 years old, it's look. So maybe some for some people, acting as a Seguw Parikh Asiyom, I don't know what it was, but she was interviewed when she was well into her 90s. And she still comported herself in a, in a, career, in a very dignified manner. And she played... You know, she won an Oscar for playing a Chinese peasant, and she talked about the fact that acting is always about something internal. It's it's always an illusion. It's always something that you're uh, you're portraying, and the idea. I mean, look, are, are we going to uh, you know, tear our hair out over Olivier in *The Boys from Brazil* uh, playing Simon uh, Simon Wiesenthal character, right? Or you mentioned it earlier to me today in in. Um, in the remake of the jazz singer right doesn't olivier olivier play uh, neil diamond's father i believe
1: well, right? which was the cat which which were played played in the original uh yes, that's
0: the, right
1: he had full circle there also so he, he right. did yellow face and he did jew face also i know right. we
0: but, but we don't really see jew face and, and you can take a look in so many films you know there's amazon has Uh, uh, Amazon Prime and Amazon, I don't know exactly who's producing it. Um, They have a television series, which many people have applauded. And it has, it's about a Jewish family in late 1950s, early 1960s, New York. It's called uh, The Marvelous Miss Maisel. It's sort of loosely based on like a a version of Joan Rivers of of, of a young Jewish housewife who becomes a star or at least a very uh, impressive standup comic. But that family... Uh, Rachel Perhanson, who's not Jewish, Uh, and and, and Tony Shalhoub, who's Lebanese, Christian, plays her father. Um, And nobody's really saying, oh, look at these non-Jews that are playing Jews consistently. Oh, this
1: is terrible. Sarah Sarah Silverman is the only one who complains about it, but she seems to complain about a lot of things. So I, I... It doesn't uh, doesn't surprise me.
0: Look, we all know again. I, I, we all, we all know it's fictional. Like wh- what again? If somebody in a fat suit plays a fat person, I mean, again, it it you, it really gets to a point. I think both of us think that it gets to a point of inanity. Um, now, look, obviously, t- we are not uh, as bigoted as we once were, and the films, many of the films that we've highlighted, have parts in it that, that we would win some there are uh, even in the, in the chan films much many of the comic relief figures uh, are very ugly caricatures of fools and often black sometimes chinese um, and definitely i can see that somebody could could find to take great offense to it but when you have a character that's not played as a fool and is not played as someone stupid, but actually is the hero, especially Chan. I mean, Chan is the smartest person in every single film. In every single film, he is the smartest. He's also the most, in a way, um, you know, unlike Columbo, who's full of so many ticks and so much weirdness, Chan is sort of like, a, he'd be a type, you know, he's a guy you'd like to go to Sheer. you'd like to go to him, you'd like for him to be your Rebbe sometimes, you know? he, you know, he's he, he has a personality, he has a sense of humor, and um he's you know again a- as the 43 films were made he ended up getting a bigger and bigger family so he's definitely a an incredible family person um and you know sometimes they have a lot of fun with the fact that you know he he wasn't practicing birth control like 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 other Western persons but it's really hard to uh to look at Chan and say isn't that a terrible uh isn't that a terrible representation of I mean you know the I mean, one that... at, the,
1: at the time it was actually meant to be the positive representation. It was the foil for the Fu Manchu character that you had this really super villain who not only def- was you know a character who was an Asian character, but it was part of the evil persona. It was it was as much as you know some of those movies are very entertaining, but that nonetheless they're they they not only it's not only that he's a villain who happens to be Asian, but it, they, there's a connection between uh, the, his villainry and, uh, and 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 his Asian culture. Even though, and, and not only that, but it's not a very accurate one. It seems to seems to paint uh, at least the, the one movie that I saw, it's Boris Carlo, The Mask of Fu Manchu, uh, which is a beautiful movie. It's real, but it's it just the the character is is so horrific. Where you know he, he seems to play him as a you know in the script it seems to have him as being a mix between hindu and chinese which doesn't really go together and mm-hmm. also specifically being very anti-christian you know that was you know and so that was the the negative negative you know and wrong and false stereotype that was just all around bad as opposed to this was that charlie chan was supposed to be this positive character. that yeah, well,
0: I, to... I would say that you're right. It definitely <clears throat> was a, a counterpoint that true. But it's interesting that Yitzchok that they draw on a little bit of a similar aspect, which is that somehow the East is really the source for great, sometimes incredibly powerful and destructive things. But great things, in other words, the Far East, the Orient. Um, you know, we here in America you know we're very taken in by the fact that the mysteries of the world still come somewhere from the ancient world from from the from the oriental world so to speak and i think that you know chan consistently whether it's you know mentioning ancient chinese proverb um the wisdom of Chan, and I've heard this as a criticism: is, you know, why does he have to be the smartest guy? Like, you know, that's also racism to assume that because he's from China and because he, he somehow taps into that Chinese culture, that's racist to say that he should be able to extol this wisdom that can solve all these cases too.
1: You know, I, mean, of- I, re- I remember in in uh, you know, learning in yeshiva, we had a a, a history teacher who was very accomplished author uh and and apologist a, a jewish apologist and uh, you know so, some of the boys would sometimes say some things of uh, you know boys will be boys they said some things were racist and one boy said you know the the chinese they're they're very good people and he and then the teacher said well except the one or they're very smart or this and that and he said well except the ones who are not and that was the answer and that that really opened my eyes and, you know you're right we can't stereotype people we have to look at individuals but nonetheless it was uh so that was it was a good lesson in school that, that, that I learned there.
0: Well, but, well you know well, well the author of the of the six or seven or eight novels that this these forty three movies was based on was Earl Dare Biggers and it was not a a, a a a person of Oriental descent or Chinese or any Asian descent.
1: But I, I, I guess what well, he, he was pro- he based on an actual right an actual police officer, uh, I think his name was Chang. I don't remember the last name, but Chang
0: Apane was- Changapana,
1: yeah. right. Um,
0: yes, and and, and, and he, he's based him in Honolulu, which at that time had not yet become the United States. So there was something about the idea that there was a place in the world that was peopled by uh, Asian people, but what was becoming Americanized. And I think, I don't know if this is in the bigger novels, but in the films themselves, the dynamic the family dynamic. I mentioned that they played it for laughs, but it was also, in a way, an indicator of how well the Asian Americans, the Chinese Americans, and you know, all, and also the Japanese Americans, the Nisei, were actually integrating into the United States. They were all Jimmy, Tommy. They all knew, you know, although they spoke Chinese, they also spoke English fluently. And many times, they were very handsome actors and actresses playing those roles. So you know, you know Daniel Patrick Moynihan uh, and others, you know, bemoaned the fact that in the 1960s and 70s when they talked about the underclass. They would point to the to the incredible integration of Asians into American society, and they tried to use the success of the Asian uh, experiment as as some sort of to tease out from it what are the elements there that could be a model for other uh, immigrant communities. And communities, even that have been in the United States much longer, and I'm referring even to the African American community, when Moynihan wrote you know, his, uh, his survey of understanding of the underclass, and he talked about why is it that we, we, there was such a greater uh, success rate in terms of poverty, in terms of which which of course, in terms of jail, in terms of illness, in terms of life expectancy. And of course, this is something that we see consistently displayed all the time. And again, this is a boogeyman that you know we can talk about this on this platform, but we know that this this conversation, if it would happen and in, in, in the woke culture, would be, you know, this this would be considered censored. But again, you know, Chan really displays. A, a very positive model of how an immigrant culture can retain a good part of its significance, a good part of its midos. You know, when Chan sits with his family, you know they they eat with chopsticks. They they have you know Chan. One of the aphorisms is is that you know that the the same way thought must enter brain. Uh, silently, so food when it comes into body, or something like that, which of course is like what Chazal say, but I forgot which Chan film it's from. I, I collected all those aphorisms before we started recording, but I don't have them here in front of me. But the point is, is that, is that yes, this is a, an example, a, a, even of a model. Now, I, I do agree that Charlie, as brilliant as he is, <laughs> not being able to sort of like talk like a regular Caucasian, or at least allow himself to use verbs and nouns properly, is a concession to this idea that he's still the other, still the foreigner. And, and I can hear how people, you know, take umbrance at that because he could he could still use a Chinese accent and yet speak English correctly, as opposed to somehow leaving out proper nouns. A proper way to really, you know, extol and bring out the character as something unique. And, and it's interesting, you know, there have been attempts to revive Chan. I don't think, you know, again, he would never be able to be revived today, I don't think, because of all the baggage uh, that's today. There's, I,
1: there's, no, there's no, no Charlie Chan uh, medium that would go beyond our, our 40 year mark, our cutoff.
0: Right, I think the last, uh, the last attempt to do that the last attempt to do that was, I think, Peter Ustinov. And I'm not sure if it was actually, if it was actually produced or not. I did see a couple of minutes, Yitzchok, of, uh, again, Peter Ustinov, as um, might be Jewish somewhere back there. I don't know. Uh, but I did see Ross Martin uh, in a made-for-TV film that I thought would maybe become a series. Ross Martin, of course, I've talked about um, uh, in the past here with our good friend Tom Shabila. I talked to him, and he was, of course, uh, um, the sidekick. Uh, and more, much more than a sidekick in the, the great, great um, television series The Wild Wild West. Playing part Gordon, master of disguises, and person with a very great sense of humor. But Ross Martin, um, who died from a heart attack, uh, you know, in a relatively young age of 50-something, I think, um, uh, he uh, starred in a film called The Return of Charlie Chan. And in this film, Martin, at least for the couple of minutes that I saw, Martin takes care not to speak in the sort of pigden English that we see Chan in the Sidney toller Warner Olin films um and he has a very uh, very with it uh, american uh americanized family he's already a grandfather not just a father and um again it's what here we have a jewish actor uh, in yellow face so to speak uh and yellow eyes so i think that you know it had chan been able to be brought back, you know. I, I think that element of Chan's speech patterns would have been eliminated. But I think Chan is verboten, and because he's verboten, what I'm worried about for our listeners is that people are not going to go back and watch these films. They're going to assume that they're racist. They're going to assume it's part something ugly and can only be shown in some sort of uh, some sort of forum, or some sort of uh, where we're trying to highlight racism in Hollywood. And I think that's really uh, that's really too bad. Even the, it's called the Criterion Channel, who actually uh, recently, and this is really what got me interested in it, Criterion Channel recently had a series about Chinese Americans and about how American films, including the very famous um, um, the Susie Wong film, Flower Drum Song, Diary of, I think, Diary of Susie Wong, uh, Flower Drum Song uh, with Nancy Kwan um, and it, 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 they have one entry of Chan in their collection, which is uh, Charlie Chan um, and, and Charlie Chan in Honolulu, I think it's called, which of course is where he lives anyway. Um, so it does really, and it's really a very inferior version. Uh, I'm I'm surprised because when I decided to look back at what's available on on YouTube or into the public domain, there's a lot of, again. Uh, I, like all films of the time that didn't have incredible production value, you can always poke holes in it, but I really think the Chan films are worth going back to, and I think they can be quite enjoyable, and you know, you could even get into it and try to figure out the mystery yourself. So we're going to talk about two films tonight. One film is something that's called, which I thought was really interesting, it has a connection to you too, it's something. you'll find that in a minute, I, I'm going to surprise you. It's called Charlie Chan at the Opera. And the title card starts with Charlie Chan versus Boris Karloff. At that time in 36, Karloff was already a major star, you know, with Frankenstein and other films, people knew you know, what Karloff stood for. And uh, you know, spoiler alert, uh, you're supposed to somehow think that Karloff is of course the terrible villain and the terrible villain that you expect him to be. Um, and it's interesting that the film starts the first right before anything, it starts you can hear singing uh a, a, a clearly a um you know a baritone singer is, is 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 reaching very interesting notes and i don't know exactly what the words mean but it's interesting that the there is actually uh, like it's not exactly the red shoes uh but there is an opera that is in the film and there's at least seven six or seven minutes of this opera uh and it was written by oscar levant who was a a musician and an actor, a Jewish fellow, uh, who I think I might have talked about here in the past. So Oscar Levant wrote this opera that was inserted in this film. Why is Chan at the opera? It seems like he's in San Francisco waiting to take the boat to Honolulu where he lives, I think. I guess there still is the San Francisco Opera House or something like that. But it's interesting that it starts with Rockland State, Rockland State, Uh, sanitarium or something like that. Now Rockland State, does that ring a bell to you?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs>
0: okay, it starts. Karloff is the opera singer. Of course, he's he's lip-syncing. Well,
1: well, he, he's in New
0: York. So he, it's a, he said it's California, but again, right. this is one of the goofs. I don't know if anybody catches it. Rockland State. Um, it, it starts with you know, and Karloff uh, is is singing, and they and you have a, a couple of turnkeys. Who are at the uh, who are at the sanitarium and they're spooked by this by this fellow who just sings this incredible in this incredible operatic way and he is amnesia he doesn't know who he is and he just sits there and sings and sits at the piano um, and when one of the um, when one of the orderlies enters into the uh, in, in, into the into the piano room as he's sitting you know Karloff is sitting at the piano singing this has got warner olin playing chan by the way so he's 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 playing the piano and i told you not to interrupt me um and he brings him a newspaper and somehow the newspaper the image on the newspaper has something on it that the image of a certain uh, a soprano a super opera superstar like a maria Callas of her time and somehow that jars his memory and he does violence to uh, we don't know if he kills him or not, but he somehow escapes uh, the sanitarium, putting on the guy's clothes, and he escapes, and of course a number of newspaper headlines indicating that the that insane criminal uh, is, is on the loose, maniac on the loose, uh, from Rockland State, but somehow it ends up in California, I don't know exactly, so I don't know, maybe it's, you know, it's I don't know how he makes it across the country or not, uh, but could be the the, the 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 screenwriters just got a little bit confused. I don't know,
1: but yeah, uh, go all the way across, I think was, you know, I, I think so.
0: I, I think Rockland State was supposed to be in California, because anyway, it turns out, of course, that the plot of the film is is that, um, is that somehow his memory has been uh, jogged, and uh, he is on his way to wreak revenge on the people who left him to, burn, to be burned and die, and he was somehow put in some sort of uh, he he's, was this great opera singer that that the world presumes is dead, but really he was the he was the husband, or of uh, or at least if not the husband, he was somehow involved with this uh, with this uh, opera singer, and now they decided, to, and he was the victim of 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 her of being trapped in a burning building, and now he's going to find out where she is. And he's going to somehow wreak his revenge. And the way he's going to do it is by he's going to somehow, um, he plays Mephisto in this fictionalized opera that Oscar Levant uh, composed. And he can, therefore, he's in a type of mask where you're not really sure who he is. And he's going to take the place of the other baritone singer. And in that way, um, he's going to be able to somehow wreak his revenge upon this woman who has was was, was tried to kill him and take him away from his daughter. Okay, uh, so anyway, so you, you really think that somehow Karloff is, you know, with his plot, he's going to, you know, gonna be, end up being the murderer because it turns out, of course, that um, the woman who was that soprano ends up being... Uh, choked in a room to death. Um, and there's another death murder as well. Anyway, so Chan is somehow uh, an opera fan himself. And along with his number one son, Ki Luke, who is somehow part of the troupe, of this opera troupe, this operatic troupe, has a number of Chinese uh, young people as part of their troop. I'm not sure exactly why. Um, And somehow, you know, with number one son, Jimmy Chan, helping him, um, uh, Charlie puts the clues together and tries to figure out exactly what's going on. Um, Anyway, spoiler alert, it's not Karloff. But again, you're supposed to somehow think, oh, look, what's but Charlie Chan versus Karloff in in his character. I think he plays a character called Gravel, which is interesting, Gravel, Gravel. Um, And, you know, again, obviously in, in 60 Minutes, uh, when you're going to introduce the various suspects, they're all going to be paper thin as characters. It's going to be very difficult, and you're going to have this in whether it's Murder She Wrote or Diagnosis Murder, or Col- you know, Columbo. Perhaps not because they actually worked a lot, because uh, it's only in Columbo you know who the murderer is basically. So there was a lot of character development in those Columbo programs between it with the murderer, whether it was played by uh, Leonard Nimoy or played by. Um, played by Theodore Bikel or others. I talked about this here on this forum. But when you have one of these programs where you have 20 different possible uh, suspects or six possible suspects, and you only have an hour to do it, it's going to be very hard, uh, except for a couple of perfunctory little scenes to be able to determine who exactly is the murderer. Throw in the fact that in all these films, you have to have some comic relief uh, with some sort of character or Chan throwing in his wisdom. It's very hard to expect you know you're not it, it's not going to be um a streetcar named desire you're not going to have you know great uh complex characters here at all you know what you're getting it's bubblegum but it's bubblegum in a way uh that you, you you actually can still you don't wince you can smile you can actually appreciate it this one specifically which is available to anybody Chan at the opera um uh, it, it also has, uh, it has in it, I think a pretty decent uh, surprise. Uh, it's not like all the fingerprints are there, but I want to really recommend it for another reason because it's really anti-racist. Uh, there is a character played by William Demarest. You mentioned by the way, Demarest uh, um, was to get along with Warner Oland um, was in the original jazz singer. So Demarest has is, is, is been a character. I think he was even in silent films, I of course, became aware of Demarest as Uncle Charlie in My Three Sons, Uh, but really William Demarest, uh, along with Walter Brennan was a a character actor that was played in hundreds of of, of Hollywood films, always a sort of a starchy uh, character. Um, And and here he plays uh, the, the sergeant detective who is technically on the case, who is clearly racist. Keeps on calling Charlie Chan Chop Suey uh, when he, he can't tell the Chinese apart, and he is the Archie Bunker character that is constantly getting it wrong. Anybody watching the film realizes that we're not la- we're not laughing with him; we're laughing at him. He's the guy who has egg on his face, uh, but he has it in a way that he still isn't a total caricature. So it really, I believe, Demarest. Although he pretty much plays the same role almost in every movie he's in, uh, I think he he was perfectly cast, and I think a way to really deflect any people saying, "Oh, these Chinese are all the same. All these Chinese are pushy. Oh, oh, these guys aren't really as smart as we think they are." Um, and um, it, it, it's it's one, it's a plot device that I think is instructive. So you have Chan, you have his very well adjusted American uh, like son, you have his wisdom. You have his way of figuring things out. And also, very interestingly, what Chan always does, and I think you know he, he realizes he might be wrong. He isn't necessarily this all-knowing Mandarin. There are sometimes he assumes something might be right, but he's willing to change his mind when something else happens. He, he doesn't dig his heels in. Uh, he pursues possibilities. But unlike many of us, we form first impressions and we're not willing uh, to let go of them. Part of what in the Chan films, You can see that part of wisdom is holding back there's also another thing here which comes up in the film is humility is that charlie is a very humble person he keeps on calling himself humble self but he acts with humility towards others even when he's smarter than them he doesn't do it in a way that is self you know that is condescending now i don't know if the if if the series always was able to achieve that in the 46 films whatever it was uh Mm -hmm. because sometimes when you have a know-it-all he's going to come out condescending um, but I don't think Warner, I think Warner Owen really played the character in, in a way that was soft. And 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 you actually saw the Midas of, of Anova, as we call it in Hebrew. So I think that um, like I said, I think it's 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 the type of thing where, hell, you know, it's you're not going to uh put it up on a pedestal as a great thing. But if you if if you're in, if you don't want to um invest yourself emotionally to a point where you find yourself tearing up or uh have to sit there for hours you, 60 minutes or 65 minutes which i think is the average time of the chan films i think will reward you and which now i know you also based on you knew what my suggestion was you went and, and, and screened another chan film what was that
1: and and that was the thing i hadn't i don't think i ever sat through a whole charlie chan film before i know my zeta all Shalom. he was he was a big fan of of the Chan movies, he would always, you know, use the, you know, he would say things like, you know, to my uncle, oh, number one son, things like that. So he, it was something that was part of their, you know, of 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 their world, you know, even, you know, my my Zeta was Shemichur Mitzvus, but he, that was the the world. And 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 you know, I, I I wanted to say one thing I meant to mention when you were talking about this is I remember when I was a kid there was a reprint of a um, a newspaper from i believe it was vj day and there was the whole newspaper was reprinted whether i think it was the the new york uh, daily news or the newsday one or the other and in this they had a little uh, you know one Nicole? one one uh, frame comic it was confucius say and it was it showed you know confucius you're know, looking a micro with a with a magnifying glass at a at a butterfly and you know something about the wisdom of seeing beauty in the smallest things and things like that and the uh, you know the the appreciation that there was for Chinese culture uh, even though again today it would seem distasteful but it really was in what was at the time would be respectful and I think that's what what you have all together in, in these movies now. Uh, it's interesting. You, the film you mentioned had Karloff in it, and the first talkie to feature Charlie Chan also uh, had Karloff. Charlie Chan was a minor character in that movie. Was called, I think, it was uh, uh, be, uh, behind that veil or behind that curtain. I'm not sure what it was called, but uh, Karloff was a bigger character than than Chan, who there was actually played by uh, an Asian actor, a Korean American actor. Most of the early Charlie Chan movies were lost. And so the first Charlie talkie, that was the, the, behind that veil was the first talkie to feature Charlie Chan, but it was a minor role. He wasn't the star of the movie. The, the earliest starring movie that we have with Chan that is still around is called The Black Camel. And yours had uh, yours had uh, Karloff, so my, mine has Lugosi. And uh, this was from 1931, so it's five years earlier than the one that you mentioned than, than Charlie Chan at the Opera, and also um, it's uh, you know it's definitely pre code type of a movie, and it's very prominent the the pre code nature of the movie. It's a it's a pretty I would say racy movie. Uh, Charlie Chan's name was not in the title of every movie, which uh, would would Pretty much for, I think, the rest of the Warner Olin uh, series uh, until he passed away in in 1938. All of the movies, pretty much after this, had Charlie Chan in the title of the movie. And uh, so, uh, but here we have it's called The Black Camel. And it's.
0: I think it's it's one of the films that actually can be tethered to the original source material that was written by Diggers. Right. Um, One of the books. So. Right. In other words, it was based on a book, so they really had a plot outline uh, to base themselves on. Uh, yeah. As appo-
1: yeah. As opposed to, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. As
0: opposed to many of these other films where they have to sort of invent a lot of the characters and what was going on. It's always again, screenwriters find it easy when they have something to pick the to, to pick the bones off of, as opposed to you know creating out of out of cloth. Um, and... I,
1: I think I think in this movie you do have a, a bit more developed type of characters it, it it is a little bit longer than than a typical chan movie it's it's an hour and 15 minutes so so it's you know 15 minutes longer than a lot of these other other movies uh but it, nonetheless it's um the characters it it's, it takes place again all, as always in Honolulu but it's actually filmed in Honolulu uh on location and you have uh, Bella Lugosi and also Dwight Fry both of whom were in Dracula earlier that year um now they're they're presented here uh, with uh,
0: So as these so characters so what's going what is the actual what's the actual murder the plot that Chan so there's, needs there's, to needs to uh, solve
1: there's uh, an actress uh you know she seems to be very very uh, you know, established and famous and popular actress, very glamorous woman, and she, uh, in the beginning of the movie, you know, she's in the middle of filming a movie, and she, it's pretty much, you know, all the gossip papers are saying that she's about to get engaged to this other, uh, this this wealthy uh, industrialist something philanthropist, and there's something that she feels like it just, she can't do it. She's not ready for that. And she has to talk to her fortune teller to get pretty much get permission, almost like you would go to a rebbe uh, and see is this a good shidduch? Lahavdil, it seems like she's she has to talk to this character played by Lagosi, who she flies in or or ships in from California, uh, where because she, she's filming on you know on location in, in in Honolulu, so she has to bring in this Tarnavero. This this uh, this fortune teller who's going to gaze into this crystal ball and tell her whether or not this is a good shit And so she's telling her 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 boyfriend there,
0: teller Lagosi uh He actually uh, you know s- sort of like flips the table on her and asks her about the murder of this film star three years earlier,
1: right? Right. That she his name was uh, Mayo and. Mm-hmm. Danny Mayo, and he brings it up, and and she's uh, you know very uh, very upset when he when he brings up that name. It seems that she had some kind of relationship with him, and how to how to deal with that, and you know we not and they're trying to figure out well who killed this Danny. So, Mayo, they, so they have dude,
0: to. So basically, it's like a double. It's a double mystery. You have to figure it, out somehow. Danny been, Danny Mayo's death is somehow tied to Sheila's death.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that and Chan she gets a visit while she's wa while she's you know considering uh marrying this one man, she gets a visit from another old boyfriend, so she she seems to get around a lot, and it was actually her ex husband who was trying to get back together with her, and so she has she she has a pretty active life, you could see having been divorced already and and seeking to be remarried, but also uh, be, having been involved in in this relationship so all these relationships really play into her situation there and uh...
0: and now and since of course let's just explain since it's happening in Honolulu the the prime detective for solving murders on the Honolulu police
1: force of course is Chan himself so and and uh, Lugosi all throughout is playing that he's helping Chan figure out this murder which kind of places him as kind of the the maybe the main suspect uh somewhat but he again spoiler alert he actually isn't although he's connected to it and there's a lot more I don't I don't want to spoil the whole movie because it's actually quite surprising what who, who
0: who the murderer what, actually is not and, only
1: that, but all the connections that, that 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 the Lugosi character also has all throughout, and that the and
0: that Chan discovers that Chan is able yeah. to discover, right? There's a great aphorism in there as well. I think he says, When you know, always when conscious wants to speak, telephone is out of order, which is in which is one of Chan's great pieces of wisdom, which I think. Is quite true today. Like whenever our Yetziratayev wants to somehow push us towards something, somehow in connection, something you know steps up to, to break that uh, connection and to allow our better parts to to emerge. Of course, um, you know Chan himself uh, in solving the murder probably again is, you know tries to you know get not at the bottom of things because he likes to solve uh, cases, but actually there's a moral. You know he's a moral human being um and uh who yeah. unfortunately
1: they you know. present him again like you said with with the with a big family uh mm-hmm. he does have uh, an assistant who actually is played by an agent actor who is more of a caricature and uh not really a negative character but someone who's kind of bumbling comic relief and a stereotype and that's that's probably what's more uncomfortable there. Uh, but in general, it's uh, it's a very uh, very realistic again pre code. You know, you do have that that pre code thing where uh, it seems
0: the like... illicit the illicit yeah. sexual relations yeah, that's so going on between everyone. Someone have
1: to be be getting undressed, and uh, you know, not that they're totally undressed, right. but they're... Right,
0: but that is uh,
1: this one the the black camel. It certainly was very entertaining. It wasn't you know because I know a lot of people are like they get bored with the old movies. Even you know this is. What I enjoy, I if if something's in color already, I'm like, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I could watch this, even if it's from the 50s and it's in color, you know, I'm like I, I I start to get uncomfortable, you know. It's something soothing about the black and white movies, but uh, but this movie, it, it, although it it does have some, I guess, some plotting scenes, but most for the most part, the characters are, I think, much more well developed than a lot of the later movies. Uh, in the series, um, again, probably because it's based on the book as opposed to uh, something that's more or less like a Yeshma Ian
0: which, which is really the fate of many of the Sherlock Holmes films, whether it was Rathbone or um, Leslie Howard's brother that was in it. Um, many of those Sherlock Holmes films were also, they had to invent it out of cloth based on characters created by Arthur well, Conan Doyle.
1: They started having it, it, the Rathbone movies, which I love all of them, uh, you know, they switched from it being a period piece to being contemporary World That's War. That's right. China. That's right. That was all you know, again. But Holmes and the secret weapon, and, and they're they're fighting Nazis, and it's like
0: I, I guess you know I I guess we could sort of end today and sort of wondering okay does does Holmes have to be played by a Brit? You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, you know we talked we started today talking about you know about intersectionality and and um, uh, people taking over well, identities. Together.
1: I don't know if I could mention this or not, but you know, I, I I was. I
0: mean, Brits are constantly playing. Brits consistently
1: are able, as we've seen with so many
0: Vivian Lee and other actresses, uh, have been able to master the American accent perfectly. For some reason, we can't, it doesn't work Peter the other way hmm? around.
1: Yeah, Peter, Peter Sellers. Peter
0: Sellers could do it. By the way, I do want to say one thing. When we talk about Chan, I, talk, I think Sellers did one of the best Chans in the movie Murder by Death. I think he plays Sidney Wang. <laughs> and and he and he has a number one son with him as well. Again, the rest of the film is really, in a way, it's got Truman Capote in it. It, it really is, in many ways, a very disjointed film that is really worse than the sum of its than actual than the sum of its than all its parts. But there are parts of the film of murder by death. Which has pastiches of, you know, Nick and Nora Charles, David Niven in one of his last film roles, I think. Um, but if, but if you could see the Peter Sellers part, Peter Sellers playing Chan version, it's 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 great. It's great comedy, plus once again, uh, Sellers, <laughs> Sellers' knowledge of. Of, of how to do the accent, of how to bring out all the aspects of uh, of the of the Chan film. Again, it's it's really great. Ross Martin is a wonderful character actor, but nothing compared to Peter Sellers. <laughs> Peter Sellers, you know, we talked about him in *Strangelove*. Peter Sellers was a once-in-a-century type of mimic and comedian. You know, somebody really, really, you know, uh, incredible. Like you, you know, a, really an incredible person. So again, he died much too soon, but he definitely left a, a great legacy. But this one little element, which I don't think people are that familiar with, it's worth to see his take on of its um, of, of its rejection of uh, and allowing the the Chinese who came here in droves of numbers, especially into California, um, the way they were put to work, the way they were uh, uh, the way they were prejudiced against, uh, the way that they were. Uh, in many ways segregated, but clearly the 20th century and Chan, especially as who was created sort of in the beginning of the 20th century, the um, really represents the emergence and the success of, uh, again, of, of this country that we somehow see as, you know, which again, the, the biggest country in the world in terms of population, but they're, they're immigrants who have come to the United States, who have enriched our culture uh, in, in so many ways, in ways that it's become a part and parcel of the tapestry of of what it means to be an American. And I think Chan, uh, in many ways, is part of that. Uh, we all know, especially, uh, where do we go on Christmas, right? You go to a Chinese restaurant because those are the only ones that are open. And even though the whole idea of 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 egg rolls and all these things and fortune cookies are all American inventions, but, in a way, not all of them are meant to denigrate. Yes, it's definitely seeing through a lens imperfectly uh but I think the same way you have the kosher delis and people who are going for the babka and the bagels and the and the vialis and which have, you know maybe none of them are really are, are essentially Jewish foods. But I think we have to realize and we have to we have to stop being uh so sensitive about these things. We have to realize that um that, that chan and other elements of that really rep- represent the success and wonder of what this country is. Yes, they actually do come from a, Fuma, a country that had its Fu Manchus, had its emperors that 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 were extremely brutal and 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 dominated to the point. And the Japanese are right, uh, the, the Chinese are right in terms of you know you know the, the the atrocities that went on on both sides. But here in the United States, in this land, this incredible country peoples from all over from from all these uh, lands have been able to come and contribute and become you know great role models and uh are in in a way that's really beyond integration um and i think we should see chan the chan films as a step uh that was really towards that incredible uh incredible absorption and embracing of 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 that culture a culture that yeah there's we all as we say it's like we always we can always look back and say we can always look and say look how look how far we have to go. There's still this, you know, inherent sense of the other. But in the 1930s, at least uh, before World War II changed many people, there was it seemed like America was a very accepting place, a place that embraced.
1: And and that's you know the, the not only the melting pot but also the. The, uh, the, tapestry, the the tapestry the the quilt beauty yeah the
0: beauty in the in the... <laughs> zai, chin. zai chin. Okay, let me see if i can get it
1: zai jian it sounds like no
0: So, so we'll see you hopefully again next week so I'll say in Mandarin Chinese we'll tell you take care, everybody watch yourself step on the way out we'll see you next week be well thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode